Hi there and welcome to this edition of the Sports Fans TV Cricket Fan Show. Um, I'm Steve, I'm the regular cricket guy here on Sports Fans TV um, and it's been another traumatic and difficult week for England cricket fans um, and the optimism um, we may have had has really been beaten out of us by the absolute thrashing England received in the third test um, in Melbourne which has concluded after two days and half a session. Um, really leaves England with nowhere to go in the series, the Ashes are lost and the series is lost, Australia 3-0 up in a five-match series um so uh you know it's, it's pretty pretty bleak days for english cricket and if you've quite seen any of the mainstream media in the last uh, last few hours you'll have seen that there's a lot of post-mortems going on and a lot to discuss um we are on the cricket fan show um you know my, my usual partner tony the legend is unfortunately not too well at the moment and can't be with us but uh, um as you you've you've seen us before you know we try to look at realistic causes and remedies um and see what we think can happen um in uh, in future for english cricket to try to to get back to something like competitive i mean let's face it england going to australia was always a difficult task it always is a difficult task it's an absolute momentous time when england win a series in australia and winning series abroad in test cricket is very very difficult for pretty much every team um but that should be competitive and we've reached a point almost with this series now where even the Australian media and the Australian ex-players who love to, you know, say, oh, it's going to be 5-0, this lot can't bat, they can't bowl, they can't field, that you know, they're, they're, they're the worst team ever to visit and so on, are starting to actually kind of almost, you know, want England to do well. It's a bit like, you know, kind of professional players against kids where they just, you know, go on, no, go on, if you have a go, you might be okay. And it's quite sad, actually, that we're not, we've moved even beyond the kind of Ashes rivalry, really, to more of a pity. And that is a real shame. That's a real shame. So we're going to talk about some causes and, and remedies, perhaps, uh, well, towards the end of, of the show. Um, but first, let's talk about the third test. So a wild capitulation again for England. But I think the problems really started much earlier in the game. At the toss, even I was watching and Joe Root looked sullen and he looked introverted. He looked he didn't look like a man who was about to have five days of exciting nip and tuck cricket ahead of him. He looked like somebody who was who had the weight of the world on his shoulders, quite frankly. Pat Cummings looked relaxed and, and happy, as you would expect. Um, Australia won the toss, which was a very good toss to win, unlike in Brisbane, where it was a it was a decision which you could get wrong. Um, I think it was a, it was an easy decision for, for Pat Cummings to ask England to bat. Um, uh, and at the anthems, again, we came out, and, and the English England team, the England players looked nervy. They looked anxious. They looked like, you know, they were... It wasn't like they... It didn't look like steely determination. It looked like you know, the onset of panic. The Australians looked excited. They looked happy. They looked like they were reveling each other's company. They obviously were excited to have Scott Boland making his debut and they was making a big thing of that. Quite rightly so. He's only the second male Indigenous player to play for Australia and the fourth in, in men's and women's tests. So it's a, it's a, it's a good, good and a big moment for Australia. And, that's, and that is certainly something to be excited and to be happy about. But the game got going and then there was another poor start. Joe Root was in batting again. England were 13 for two when he came in. 44 balls gone in the in, in in the match. And Root again was out in the middle. England already in trouble. Um, the openers, you know, didn't really do do much. I mean, I have to say, um Hamid got a very, very good delivery, which I think would have got most people out. Yes, you can criticize him for playing with his hands in front of his pads, but he was reaching for the ball and not playing under his eyes. But to be honest, it was a terrific delivery and would probably have got most batters out. Um Crawley got done by bounce which you know you'd hope one of the reasons why you pick he's about seven foot two one of the reasons you put him in the team is because the bounce shouldn't be as much of a problem for him but it certainly reared up in a way he wasn't expecting and, and then his technique got found out and he got squared up and played across the ball and, and it and it 
went went for a catch. It was it was not good stuff. Um, so there we are. Milan are in. They dug in. They got four, put on forty odd together. Milan, I think, looked. He got was out for fourteen in the end and, and a pretty poor time in a day. I think he batted better than that. I think he. It's a shame he deserved more. He, he did a lot of the hard yards. Root scored a fifty, um, which England need him to do if they're going to make a competitive total. Um, Stokes and Bersto came in and, and did okay, but without really anybody establishing themselves. And Bersto obviously had a pretty ugly um, uh, wicket when he fairly he kind of ended up on his backside and lying on the floor and, and looking looking pretty much thoroughly worked over by, by the Australian quick bowlers. And then towards the end, Robinson and Leach had a bit of a go, but 185 all out. Again, you, you know, you need to be scoring 400. Okay, in this on this pitch, Perhaps 400 is, was a wild ask. Maybe 250, 275 was more like a par score. But even so, 185 was still well, well short of what a competitive total needed to be on this pitch. It wasn't good enough, um, even given the bowler-friendly conditions that, that England faced when they went out to bat. So Australia, uh, they bowled pretty well. Australia started quite well. Warner decided he was obviously going to have a go, but England managed to nip him out before the close of day one. So, you know, that was good. And, it, and throughout England chipped away with regular wickets. I think this is not, a, unlike the Adelaide test, this isn't a test where you can say the England bowlers got their plans or executed their plans wrong. Um, they, uh, they they did a pretty good job with, with taking wickets fairly regularly. But again, at a crucial moment in the match, the ninth and tenth wicket partnerships for Australia put on, what, nearly 50 runs. So instead of Australia being bowled out for just over 200, they were bowled out for 267. So instead of it being pretty close in terms of maybe 30, 40 runs between the two teams, Australia had a pretty healthy lead. And on a, on a pitch where if a good first inning score is somewhere between 250 and 275, then an 80 run lead is a, is a pretty, pretty strong place to be. <sighs> but then, then the inevitable, you know, you got to say it was superb bowling. Cummings and Stark were all but unplayable in the uh, in in the in that part of the in that part of the game. They they bowled an opening spell which was absolutely terrific, and they were just too good for Crawley and Hamid. Um, it's the truth. They were probably too good for most batters that would have gone out and batted at, at that point. And now many ex-pros, Atherton, others, you know, saying, well, you know, they were pretty pretty pleased that they weren't having to face that. It was extraordinarily well well bowled by Australia. Um, you know, the next, um, Milan, I think, was a little unlucky to be given out LBW. Um, Leach, I think, bless him, he was trying to leave it on length as we've probably hammered into them. Unfortunately, he tried to leave it on length to Scott Boland. And Boland is the bowler that aims for the hit to hit the top of off stump every time. And it's like, no, not, yeah, leave leave it on length, but not to him. And unfortunately, that was a pretty pretty poor decision. And it always looks bad when a, when a batter leaves the ball and gets, and gets clean bowled. So on to day three, Root and Stokes are at the crease. Bairstow and Butler to come before play. I tweeted and thought, well, you know what? There's four players there that could all get a score. If they all graft, if they all make the Australian bowlers work hard, then the opportunities will come. You know, make them bowl at you. Then you can start to put the score. You can start to tick the scoreboard over. The Australians then have got some questions that have been asked to the bowling. You know, can Boland, um, can Boland, Boland bowl well at test level? Um, you know, how well will Iron bowl um, in, in, this, in this test? You know, can, can he hold up and end? All of those things. Suddenly Cummings has got decisions to make. But it didn't work out like that because you know it, it didn't it didn't England didn't hang around long enough. Stokes, to be fair, first man out on the on the third day got an absolute beauty from Stark. He was beaten for pace and movement. You could, if you want, to quibble with his defensive stroke, but it was a pretty damn fantastic ball, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, and then Bairstow, I thought, was quite unlucky with his LBW. I know you can say, well, two umpires call, umpires call on whether or not it was hitting in line, umpires call whether or not it was hitting the stumps. I think that was a bit of a guess from the umpire, to be honest with you. I'm not sure that was a great decision, but, 
you know, uh, I think with two umpires calls, I think that's very, very harsh on Burstow. And he can count himself as a little unlucky. And Root was out, out in a very, very similar fashion to earlier in the series where he, he played away at a ball which perhaps he didn't need to and was caught in, in, in the cordon behind the stumps. So that's something he will probably be thinking about and worrying about in Australia, clearly setting himself up to do. But then, you know, the procession, the procession came and the remaining batters really had nothing to offer at all. Um, and, and Stark and Cummings bowled brilliantly. I, and I thought Boland, who, you know, making his debut uh, on his home ground, it was a dream come true for him and good luck to him. He bowled well. He did a good job. But the England batters were making him look like prime Dale Stain. They were making him look like an absolute world beater. He's Australia's sixth choice um, pace bowler. Uh, and and yeah, he's a, he's a good player, and I'm not knocking him. And he and you know he's now done something. He will live in the annals of of Ashes history and Australian cricket history. And he can be very very proud of himself. And Australia are absolutely right to be proud of him and to be lauding his achievement. But the England batters made it quite easy for him, I thought, and um, and they didn't really show a lot of resistance. And it was kind of one of those things that we're just going to poke about and, and give our wickets away and 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 let somebody else do the hard yards and and I have to say I was particularly disappointed towards the end of the game when Butler took a single off I think it was the second ball of of um of a Boland over then exposing Jimmy Anderson to four balls I would have thought at that stage that Butler would be trying to soak up the bowling um so instead Butler finishes five not out and Anderson's bold neck and crop I didn't think that was a very responsible thing for Butler to do but to be perfectly honest with you in the grand scheme of things it's kind of largely irrelevant England were absolutely steamrolled in just over two days Australia winning by an innings having scored fewer than 300 runs is frankly an embarrassment for an England team um, and I think you know after the game Joe Root he, he, he said what, it, what, he, what could he say we're disappointed with the performance we're better than that we never we, we just didn't offer enough Chris Silverwood came out and again said many of the right things. I think he, he said that there were some positives to take out from it. Well, he's got a better microscope and, and uh, uh, for, for looking at for positives than I have because I didn't really see a great deal of, of positives to come out of that. I mean, you know, Jimmy Anderson bowled pretty well. We knew that already. Joe Root got scored a 50. That's okay. That's not news. I'm not quite sure what else we took, take from the, from the test match, to be honest. So where do we go from here? Well, I think so far in the series, um, and Tony and I have been discussing this um, between episodes, Joe Root, of course, David Malan with the bat, I think have done fine. They've been they've been good. Root's averaged 42 so far. I think he's the leading run scorer in, in, in the series. He's got over 250, he's got 253 runs. Um, now, obviously, he's batted more than the Australian batters have because, you know, we keep getting done by an innings. But, um, but nonetheless, every time he bats, and I think this is an important, uh, an important stat, he's facing on average 83 balls per inning. So he's batting, he's, he's now he'd want to, lengthen that he'd want to do more than that um David Milan as well similarly he's averaging 34 he'd want that to be up to 40 but but that's okay I, mean, I would take that um and he's facing 80 balls every time he goes out to bat on average now that compares pretty well with the Australians I think Lavashane and and Warner are averaging over 100 balls face per innings um but 80 balls that's that's okay you know you, you you're gonna you can face 80 balls at test cricket you're probably gonna eventually be averaging somewhere around 40 um with that and that's and that's okay right you know so obviously you want to nudge all those numbers up a bit but that's a decent contribution with the ball certainly Jimmy Anderson has, has done pretty well seven wickets at an average of 14 and economy rate of one and a half runs and over so clearly you know whether they're respecting him whether they're trying to see him off Jimmy's doing a good job when he bowls I, I also think Robinson and Wood have, have done pretty well um Robinson's it shows in his numbers Wood it doesn't Robinson has taken nine wickets average of 26 so again you would probably if you said to a bowler going into the ashes you're going to average you're going, to, you're going to take more wickets than Jimmy Anderson and you're going to average 26. Will you take it? You'd probably say, yeah. His economy rate is under three as well. So that's pretty good. And Wood has looked dangerous. 
it doesn't really come through in his numbers. He's taken five wickets at 32 and he's going at three and a half runs and over. So that's, that's okay, but it's not outstanding. Um, but he's actually looked like a bowler that can cause the Australian batters problems. So for me, those guys have done pretty well, but the rest, the rest really hasn't, haven't been good enough. So where do England go into the fourth test? It's very, very difficult for the selectors or the selector because effectively it is Chris Silverwood. Um, so many of the players could be left out for their own goods, could be left out for, um, uh, for, for, for other players to be given a chance, could left out for form. Um, you know, Burns and Pope and people that have been, been, been left out after the second test, I think leaving them out for one test and bringing them back is probably going to scramble the heads even more than, than, it, than it was. So do you keep the team as it is? I mean, they've just been done in two days and half a session. I mean, is that wise? When we can't, you know, and the, and the team is, quote, can't bat. For me, I think I would make two changes to the side. Um, and one of them might be seem to be a little harsh. One of them, I think, has, has, has got to happen. Um, and I think I would, I, I would, I would leave out Butler. Um, again, he, he, he missed a catch um, after would have taken Steve Smith very early in his innings. Didn't cost England a lot this time. That was a difficult chance. It was an inside edge onto a pad. So the ball kind of diverted direction a couple of times, uh, and then it went went to his left, I think, and, and he didn't get there. Um, that's the kind of catch that having your best wicket keeper available might well take. And yeah, everyone will huddle around him and say, what a brilliant catch. And it goes down as an absolutely brilliant catch. But to be quite honest with you, at test level, taking brilliant catches is one of the reasons why you, you want your best wicket keeper, why you need to have a very good wicket keeper. We can, any, anyone who can put on gloves can take the regulation catches. I mean, although Butler's dropped a few, but for me, I think Butler, I think his Red Bull test career is over. Um, and I think it's time to give best over the gloves for me. I mean, you know, who else are you going to pick it, put put back in? You could put Pope back in. You could put Burns back in. For me, I would probably play Dan Lawrence. At least let him have a look at the bowling. Give him a give him an opportunity. Say to him, look, you know, kind of the series is gone. There's less pressure here. Um, just go out and have a, you know, come in at number come in at number six or whatever and have a bat. See how you get on. Moves best though to seven. Um, he, I think he can bat okay with a tail. He's batted okay so far. He, you know, he did okay in this test. Um, I don't, would it would it make the batting lineup any stronger? Who, who knows but but to be quite honest with you it's probably not going to make it any worse and then the other change i'd make and i feel a bit bad saying this but i would leave jack leach out again i don't think he, he's doing enough i don't think he's, he's 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 providing enough he's certainly not doing anything with the bat i would play don bess poor guy's been taken um he's been messed around by england so much he can bat at number eight um and and an off spinner as has been discussed before on this show and in many other places um, might cause the left-handed australian batters a little bit more of a problem he's not going to be a controlling off spinner he's going to be a, he's going to have to be bold in with an attacking attacking field so let's lean into that let's just play him give him like give him a leg slip give him give him a you know a silly point um give him some protection in in key places but but attack you know give him a slip and, and and try and put the pressure on. Don't expect him to go for anything less than five and over and just lean into it and just try to get him to, to winkle people out in relatively short spells. Um if you need a if you need spinners to hold up an end and just kind of throw it flat and, and try to block it up, then Root can do that himself. But let's let's just use best and use him as best we can and and, uh, and try to get as much out of him as we can. Again, it can't really be much worse than we've seen so far in this tour. So that's what I would do um, in um, uh, for the next test. But to be quite honest with you, you could make any number of changes. You could bring Burns back and for Hamid and you could say that was justified. You could bring Pope back for somebody. You could say that was justified. You could pretty much anyone except probably for Root Milan Jimmy Anderson, you can make a case for um, uh, for for leaving them out at the next test. Um, 
but I don't think there's any mileage in making wholesale changes again, to be perfectly honest with you. But you might as well give people a look who have you taken on tour. So Bess, Lawrence, maybe you could play Overton if you wanted, to, if you particularly, if you maybe wanted to give Robinson a rest or something like that. But um, but really just uh, just get on with it, I think, with with roughly the players that you've got. So that's the fourth test. And I think there's there's something else which we must address, which is the tour preparation and the fact that these poor players, now these are, you know, I think, I think, and, and Silverwood came out and said this, these are pretty much the best Red Bull players in England. Now, I'm not sure that's entirely true, but but I get his point. There weren't too many people, arms thrown in the air in dis- despair when they saw this squad. Of, you haven't picked these players and those players and those players. Now, there are a few, and on this show, we've discussed people like Libby and Bohannon and, uh, and others like that who could perhaps have, have made the cut. And we definitely would have taken folks and we definitely would have taken Liam Livingston. But, you know, so there are some players maybe that you could have could have been been picked instead. But, but the point is, this isn't a ter- this isn't a wildly outrageous squad that's been put together. This is a pretty decent Red Bull squad in English in English conditions that playing in England. Um, but they've been set up to fail. No practice matches. No opportunity between tests to get any sort of form. People like Crawley being thrown in without any cricket for months and being expected to open the batting on Boxing Day at the MCG. Now. It's it's borderline cruel and it's possibly unprofessional to expect these guys to do that. It's not fair of the ECB to have put the players in this position. This tour was was borderline to be called off by the players before they went. Uh, I, you know they were very worried about the, the extended COVID protocols and the problems. But I also wouldn't be surprised if they were worried about the absolutely kamikaze schedule that they were given um, and the and the, the lack of thought that had gone into what they needed to be able to perform. Now, I know they're professionals and they're top of their game, but you can't, you wouldn't expect, you know, team, teams in any sport to go into the major competition in their sport. And let's face it, for England, test players, the Ashes is the major competition, right? And give them no preparation and send them out cold. Have people that haven't played for months expect them to perform. You know, not not great scheduling. And I think that has to take a lot of the, the culpability. Whoever agreed and signed off this schedule has to take a lot of the culpability for the performances on this tour. Now, it's not to say the players are off the hook because a lot of them have performed well below their level and they appear to be brain scrambled and rabbits and I'd like, which also looks goes back to the coaching team and, and what they're doing in between tests and how they're getting them prepared. Um, in fact, the, uh, I would have to say that technical coaching does appear to be a problem. And there's a brilliant article by Rob Johnson of CrickBuzz, which has highlighted many of these issues. Um, and, and it's well worth a read if you haven't read it. He interviews Paul Farbrace, the former England coach, part of the coaching staff. And he's quite scathing about the approach and the attitude of some players he's, he's worked with in terms of, he doesn't name any names, but in terms of not really wanting to correct technical flaws, being happy to get a few throwdowns with a with a with a dog thrower in the nets and, and feel butt on ball and feel that that's practice and that's preparation it's like well maybe that's some of it that's kind of preparation for preparation but then it's surely got to be talking about how are people looking to get me out what would you know how, you know how, how would I, how, how would my bowling attack like try to get me out you talk to jimmy anderson and say jimmy if you're bowling at me what would you do and you and you have those conversations and you try to work on that and if your problem is is your bat is coming in from blooming gully whenever the ball is straight and you're, you're playing across the line, we'll try and work on it. Try and work to be straight, work to be straight, you know, just, just spend the hours and do it. I know it's difficult, but you, this is what is required at top level sport. You've got to put in that, that work. Um, so anyway, lots of stuff in Rob Johnson's article, which I would thoroughly recommend to anybody who has an interest in England cricket. Um, and, and as he, he, he notes, there are many, many deeper issues. Um, you know, and Tony and I have, have, have been discussing this and 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 uh, trying to find ways to, to come up with some some um, some remedies for what what we're seeing. 
First of all, I think we have to say the county cricket today, right now, is not preparing players for test cricket. Um, I'm a big county cricket fan. Tony is a huge county cricket fan. We've been following county cricket between us for, you know, decades, um, you know, kind of between us. And, 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 I'm, I, and I, I am a big fan of county cricket and, uh, and, and my early cricket um, was, was, you know, through Middlesex and through going to Middlesex games. Um, and then I went, you know, to test matches and, and so on. Tony's a big Essex fan. So we are, we are invested in and committed to county cricket. But we have to be honest, it's not preparing people for test cricket at the moment, right? That's just the fact. Um, there was a very interesting discussion on test match special in the amount of time they had after the early finish to the to the test match. Um, and, and, I, and I think it was like, you know, Jonathan Ogie made the point that county cricket needs to be the spine of the season. It needs to be the spine of the English cricket season and the other things fit around that. And it's been flipped on its head. And that's not just the, the hundred and the hundred is bad. Um, and there's a lot of people that, that feel that. But I mean, that certainly hasn't helped. Um, but really, you know, county cricket being squeezed into um, April, um, lots of it being played April, May, nothing really in the, in the high summer and then get some games in September as well. It's not really good enough because what happens is the pitches in April nip about. You don't need to be a pace bowler. You don't need to have that 140 plus stock ball to be dangerous. Spinners are, if not redundant, then they're, they're, they're not really required because you can get medium pace bowlers who can move it around, um, nipping it about. Batters know there's going to be one with a name on it very soon. So they just throw, they go out and they play shots and they and they don't try to worry about building an innings because it's impossible to build an innings on a pitch which is moving about so much and when it's, when it's so difficult to bat. So how is that helping anyone? It's not developing pace bowlers who can bowl at good spells of like a Cummings or a Stark can bowl. It's not developing spinners to, to play a vital part of a game because they're you know, essentially redundant. And it's certainly not preparing batters because they're going out and it's kind of death or glory type cricket, which is, you know, what they're preparing for with the white ball anyway, rather than long built innings, except you, know, you get some places like, like the Oval where it's a very good batting track and people like Pope make lots and lots of runs. Amla came over as an overseas player and made lots and lots of runs. It's possible, but generally speaking, the, 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 um, the schedule pushing it out into, into um, April, May, and, and to September is not helping the players. I know there were a lot of runs scored last April, um, and, and I think there's this, you know, that so maybe you know maybe there's something deeper that needs to be looked at there. But certainly, this county cricket season, the Red Bull game, is not the centerpiece of the English domestic season anymore, and that has to change back. Um, white ball cricket, arguably too, is is ruining batters' defence. You know, we talked about about you know it's death or glory stuff. Nobody's going to make big money going around the world in playing in different places all week, 12, 12 months of the year on the strength of their forward defensive. You know, it's on the strength of their ramp and of their reverse sweep and all these things. You've got to look at the big bash and look at some of the very, very good white ball English players who are not mainstays of the of the, of the white England white ball team. I mean, you've got Sam Billings, who's in the squad and, and quite rightly so is doing very well. You've got Joe Clark never played for England as, as far as I'm aware um, and, um, and and somebody else Ben Duckett who's, who's played in the past for England and, and what have you but isn't anywhere close to really to the to the England squad at the moment these guys are lighting up the big bash Australia's premier white ball competition um, none of these guys you would say are are there because of, of their of their ability to play with it with a straight bat against against you know relentless bowling trying to hit the top of their off stump they're there because they can improvise and they can play funky shots and good luck to them and that's the game they play I'm not, not criticizing them um but none of those guys really 
would you say are very well suited to becoming into the England test team? Got other players out there doing well, like James Vince, who might be a bit more suited, but he's played before and, and, and it hasn't really worked for him. Why? Because he'd like to play a big flashy drive outside off stump with an angle bat because it's the kind of shot that he gets away with in white ball cricket, but you can't in test cricket. So it's, it's, you know, let's just say white ball cricket, although, you know, maybe for bowlers, it's not, it's asking them questions, which is helping them develop their game. Um, it certainly isn't doing the same for batters. It's asking them different questions and, it, and and answering those questions and doing that kind of work is not preparing them for test cricket. And that's a big problem. So solutions. Well, Tony and I have discussed it and we've got, we've got some different approaches. I think Tony prefers adding a regional layer of cricket to uh, to the English domestic scene. Um, so counties, if you like, as feeders to five or six regional teams to try to add a layer, an additional standard layer between county cricket and test cricket so that you've got somewhere for people to step up to and play in a more concentrated, um, higher standard game. Um, I think there's merit in that. I think it would be four-day games in the middle of summer would, would, would be Tony's, Tony's vision for that. And I think there's certainly some merit in that. For me, I think the county, county championship in three divisions of six, playing 10 games a year is a better way to do it. Um, as far as possible, I would like to see those matches not scheduled alongside test matches so that the likes of Root and Anderson and Milan and Burns and so on can play test cricket and they can play all the county games as well. So that should help with, with the interest in the county games. But also it gives these guys a chance. It gives these guys a chance to be informed, to feel back on ball, to, or, you know, to, 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 to get some overs in their legs and so on. I think that's, that's really, really important. I would have each of those teams with squads, fixed squads of maybe 15 or 16 players. I'm not sure the exact amount, but, but I'm sure we could work that out. And I would only have two overseas players available for a county throughout a season. I think this notion of like Surrey last year had Ashwin come along, played one game, took seven wickets and then went away again. That can't happen. That cannot happen. That's just ruining the integrity of, of the county championship for me. So, yeah, let's have overseas pros in, in that. We need the, the quality of the overseas players. You know, we want to see our best players playing against good quality international players in, in, in the opposition teams in the county championship. Of course we do, but we can't have this rotating cast of people. So you can, you can only have two or you can maybe have three over the course of a season, but you can only ever have two in the side or something like that. But we can't have this revolving door for, for people to come in for the counties that can afford it. I just think that ruins, I think that could ruin the game, frankly. Um, I think there should look to be a bias on selection for the test side from players who are playing well in division one. Um, I think we've seen, that um, you know, particularly some of the talent batting for players who are who maybe look okay in Division Two and Division Three when they come out to bat at a test level, they look they look well short of the technique required to survive and, and make runs. That's maybe 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 not. Maybe that's that's the small sample size of people like Robinson and what have you is batting. Um, but uh, but I think it's uh, I think it's something to think about. But certainly, you really do want to be looking at the guys that are playing in Division One and that being a very good standard and saying if these guys are averaging 40 or 50 at that level if they're taking wickets and average of 20 at that level then these are the kind of people that we want, we need to be looking at for the test side um i would like to see promotion and relegation um on, a, on an annual cycle tony would prefer to see it as a two-year cycle to give teams a, a bit more of a chance to um to to, to build something I, I think you pay your money you take your choice with that but i would also like to see alliance summer running alongside the test side um so if we can schedule county matches 
it's as much as so they don't clash or certainly as much as possible, then I think it should be possible at that point also to have an England Lions game. So we could invite touring sides, we could invite A teams, an India A team, an Australia A team, you know, so on. These guys would be very, very good opposition and would be, I'm sure they would love it because they would be getting to get their coming players, their probables and possibles coming along and playing in English conditions to see how they get on. That would be wonderful for them. But also don't forget England have got Scotland, they've got Netherlands, um, that are here, that are associate countries that could play um, Red Bull games against the against the Lions team. I don't know whether Ireland would want to do that or whether they would now see themselves as a test side and wouldn't wish to do so. But certainly there are options and you could certainly then see both the test team playing and the Lions team playing at the same time through the summer. And I think that would be a worthy investment for, for English cricket. Um, but for me, all of that only works, I think, if we lean into the fact that Red Bull and White Bull cricket are becoming increasingly two parallel versions of the game and they need to be treated as parallel versions of the game and not and not variations on a theme. And I think ultimately players will need to be one or the other. They will need to be Red Bull players or they'll need to be White Bull players. And that obviously has a knock-on effect for the economics of the game and how the money is earned and how it's split. Also, um, you know, it's it's a, it, it will be a harsh adjustment, I think. Certainly if you look at the current test, test squad, you've got players like Hamid and Burns, um, and Pope, who are definitely, we would say, Red Bull players. Um, you've got, frankly, Butler and Bairstow, who you would say are, are, are very much white ball players. Obviously, you've got Jimmy and, and Stuart Broad and, and Robinson, I would say, are pretty much Red Bull players as well. And then you've, but you've got some good players, Stokes and Root and Milan and so on, who are kind of would be both. And that might be a tricky adjustment. It might be an adjustment period where some people play both for a while, but I think it's going to be very difficult to do that in the long term. I only think this works, actually, if we start to have players playing in, in effectively two different codes in parallel. Um, and we're going to have, have to find a way, I think, to absorb that into, into English cricket. Um, I think that's going to be difficult. For me, I'd also like to see three development programs at a much younger age. I know England have development, a pace development program. I had to look it up to see who was on it. Well, it's three people. It's Overton, it's Mahmood, and it's Ollie Stone, who's, who's, who's out injured. So, I mean, that's fine. But I'm talking about before, kind of from the younger age groups, getting people signed up to a spin development program, a pace development program, and a top three batting development program. And with 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 pace, I'm not talking about media. I'm talking about people whose stock ball is 140 miles an hour plus. I'm talking about fast bowling. And I think that program could focus, yes, of course, on, on coaching and on giving them playing opportunities and playing opportunities around the world, perhaps in different conditions. Um, but also it's got to be all about learning about the biomechanics of those players. So they know about the, their own bodies and, they, and their own analysis and they know what they can and can't do in terms of their in terms of their um, their bodies and their and their and their stresses they put on it and so on and how much rest they need and all of those things that has to be part of that and spin bowling one is about getting english spinners going out to different conditions and learning how to bowl in different places where they where it's on their side where the conditions are going to help them where it's a you know a road where nothing's going to help them that has to be part of the program as well and the top three again it's about good technique and it's about building long innings and it's about um, and it's about having the mentality to bat in a bubble and to know your game and to play the shots that you play and to make bowlers bowl at you and all of those things that it would appear the England um, England batting lineup has forgotten how to do. Um, I, I think for me that if you had the right number of players, if you maybe had six in each of those, then after the end of each programme, you would have 18 players becoming young, ready to play county cricket or looking to play county cricket. I think you could in introduce a form of draft system there with a team that was bottom of Division 3, got the first pick of those of those 18 players. Um, 
you know, and and well, I mean, I'm sure we could have lots of mechanics in a draft where they could swap them, and you know, people could do all sorts of funny things like they do in other sports with drafts. But effectively, the, the principle would be that the, that the the least performing team would get the first pick from all of those players. Those players could then be on a central contract for two or three years, so they're all paid the same. Um, there's, it's not like, there's not a, a, a a costing problem for any of the counties it would all be equalized um, but of course after that then people would be able to would be free to you know once those contracts had expired they'd be free to sign for whoever they wanted and and so on and so forth i think that would work quite well i think that could be quite good for the game um and um, and would would bring on a stream of players that had been developed by english cricket specifically for the for the test side um Tony also has floated the idea with me that is it time to scrap the ECB? Well, I think that would be a big call because of the assets that they own and and so on. But uh, but I think you know well, I understand their aim was to embrace the earning potential of white ball cricket for, to underpin the finances of of English cricket. I, I think and I understand that's why they prioritised it. But surely the plan wasn't to do so and hamper the Test team. I think it has to be done in a way where you're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. So I think the call for new administrators, I think, is is right. Um, I think it's possible that at the end of this series, Root may say he's had enough of being England captain and walk away. I think that's a big problem for England because I'm not sure where you turn to replace him. Not, I don't think there's anybody in the current team that's that's tailor-made because there's actually nobody else who's guaranteed to play. Um, I think Silverwoods is going to be really, really difficult for him to continue in post after this tour. Um, and, and a lot of the England coaches, I think they're going to have to seriously look at that. They have loaded too much onto Silverwood by making him the coach and the selector and the team manager and bottle washer and everything that they've asked him to be. It's too much. So maybe there's a way to split that load and and um, and, and retain him. Um, I feel a bit bad kind of having a go at Silverwood, um, but things around the around the group really don't look very good. The body language, the the attitude they have, and then their performances and the technical deficiencies. It doesn't doesn't sound like they're doing a great job on the coaching front. But I think it would be too easy. It's too easy. It's a bit like a football club sacking the manager when things are going bad, when they've messed up all the all the all the infrastructure of the club and they don't have a training ground and they've been buying players that are no good and all of that stuff. The administrators here have got to take some of the rap, I think, and have got to take some of the responsibility. Um, new administrators returning the separation between coaching and selecting um, and, um, and giving giving somebody in Silverwood's shoes a job that can actually be done by one person rather than several jobs and making them a supremo. Um, maybe you do that if you've ended up with somebody who they've proved it over time is absolutely phenomenal at doing all of that stuff. And, you know, you, you find crickets or Alex Ferguson and you give them all the power. But but that's not likely. It's much better to have those jobs spread out. But I think that will only happen if the administrators also just recognise that they've played their part here and that they also need to be culpable and take some responsibility. Um, I think it's inevitable that this this tour is going to end some test careers. I think it's inevitable that there'll be some people that maybe walk away from test cricket. Um, if you're Butler and Burstow, why do you need this grief when you can play all year round making a fortune playing white ball cricket and still play for England? Um, but I think it's it's um, it, it needs deep, 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 deeply addressing. There are good players in English county cricket. There are some very good players kicking around um, and there are some good players who have not yet come close to the test side who look like they have the potential to do so and we'll probably talk about that on another show but certainly to sum up for me some deep-rooted issues in english cricket which are the, 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 the um you know the, it's coming home to roost um at, at the moment it's um this is the culmination of a lot of individual decisions which in and of themselves perhaps didn't look like terrible mistakes to make um but have all combined into this car crash of a tour the players coming from a system which isn't preparing them well enough for test cricket. 
they then in in the COVID times they're operating under much more pressure than they than they have been. And indeed, there was the, you know the COVID at the start of day two where you know they came out actually and played probably the best cricket of the of the series. But they must have put them under a lot of pressure. I wonder if the if the the distraction of the COVID stuff going on actually took their minds off all of the pressure of the cricket and it just allowed them to play with a bit of freedom for a day. Um, but you know the COVID bubbles and all of those things are are terribly difficult and it's a difficult tour to be on. When you add to that, you've got a, a coach and selector where it appears to not, from the, the signals coming out of the group, it doesn't appear to be going well. They don't appear to be having a great time, notwithstanding the, the, the defeat and the, and the losses on the field. Um, and then you throw them in and say, well, we're not giving you any preparation matches. We're not giving you any preparation time. We're not giving you any opportunities to get into any form. You're just going to go out and play um, one of the best test sides in the world with one of the leading bowling attacks in the world um, with an unprepared squad who, who are just not, necessarily ready for this level it's it's sad it's a it's a big shame there are remedies there are things that can be done but asking joe root and chris silverwood to fall on their sword and just replace them with other people and perpetuating the longer term deeper issues is not the answer um and i hope that's not where england cricket go so lots to think about we'd love to hear your thoughts and your views on um on english cricket and where it goes and where the england cricket team goes um i think there's lots lots more debate to be had about where we go for the west indies tour that's coming up in the new year and then certainly the summer next year where they're again more test cricket we're back at home um and, and let's see see where, where england can go for the rest of the series england have got to fight for for some pride they've got to fight to show that they're not this completely out of their depth group of players who haven't got the skills to compete they've got to try to find a reason to compete and do well and not just look forward to the flight home they've got to find something and if there are players that can't find it then they can't and they shouldn't play and only the guys that can find it should play and i don't really care who they are frankly um that, that has to be that, that has to be where it is if people haven't got the heart for it then they might as well come home now and i'm not saying that any of them do but if any of them are feeling like that then then they shouldn't play um so yeah look forward to hearing your, your thoughts on that don't forget to like and subscribe we are as a podcast we are as a youtube uh, video on, on youtube and you can also find us on twitch we are all over the place i tweet a lot too particularly during games um so if you want to follow us on twitter at s ftv underscore cricket you are more than welcome and i'd like to engage folk on there um and i look forward to seeing you next time and hopefully hopefully after the fourth test we can be a little bit more upbeat, have some more positive English cricket to talk about, um, and we can maybe see some seeds and some and, and some and some shoots of growth on which the future of English cricket could be built. So thanks for joining us. From me and from our friend Tony, who as I say can't be with us today. Thanks a lot for joining us on the Sports Fans TV Cricket Fan Show, and I'll see you next time. 